Season 1, Episode 23 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. I am Aaron Sandemeyer, and I will be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with a new friend of mine, Pastor Greg Hendricks, based out of San Diego, California. And uh, we just have a transparent conversation under the growth capacity of building teams, where we're creating an atmosphere where together we fulfill our vision and mission. And so we begin to talk about and have a great conversation about building trust. Um, How do we engage in these transparent conversations? How do we walk in as as a learner rather than trying? to give our opinion and give our answers. And Pastor Greg gives some phenomenal insight, learned a ton from him, and uh, committed to carry that, um, not just in, in knowledge, but to put those things that he shared with me into action. And I think it'll be valuable for us. We also talk about how he grew up um, without a, a close relationship with his father and what that looks like. And, and once he leads and works on teams, how that works and how that might affect our teams as we're working um, uh, as overseas workers, how it would be if somebody comes from a different family background. And we we say, at least within the Africa House, we say we, we come and we're a family. We're a family. Well, if that idea of family means different things to different people, how are we addressing that? How are we exploring that? How are we understanding each other, where we're coming from, and how that would affect our relationships? And just taking the heart of a learner, and Pastor Greg will give you um, some great keys and great points that I think you can apply in your life. We we dive deep. We talk about Drew Brees and what Drew Brees shared and um, how there was pushback for that. He talks about Colin Kaepernick and, and what the real reason um, he was kneeling and how there was some blind spots. We talk about, you know, his pastor, Pastor Miles, wrote the book, The Third option. We talk about that and, and being able to, to grow in the areas of our blind spots and being racially insensitive, not meaning it. And he'll give a, a great story of how someone, well-intentioned probably, came up to him and had a, and made a comment that that person thought was a, co- a compliment, but for him it wasn't. For Pastor Greg, it wasn't a compliment. And how we can be racially insensitive and not even know that we're doing it. And uh, just to give us some insight and understanding. So as we work together, um, trying to share the love of Jesus Christ around this world, that are we're not being insensitive unint- unintentionally. And um, that we can be more intentional in our relationships, being more in- intentional in our teams, so that we're more effective and accountable um, to those that we're leading and we're serving. And so I, I just appreciate Pastor Greg for his investment in us and his time. And um, if I ever make it to San Diego, I told him I'd love to take him out for dinner um, and spend some time with him because he's a wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience, and just honestly, just a phenomenal person just to sit down and have a conversation with. So really appreciated him. Do want to thank our partners. for this episode, the sponsor was Bess and Peggy Reed, um, Partners in Life and Mission. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings. It's so exciting to be here today on the Clarity Podcast with my new friend, Pastor Greg. He is um, a long way away in California. I'm in Madagascar. He's in California. And uh, just looking forward to learning from him as we look into delve deep into teams and, and team building and how we, as we grow in this area of diversity on our teams, how we can um, grow in our insight and understanding and just learn from him and his wisdom, insight, and experience. Pastor Greg, could you go ahead and just introduce yourself um, to the audience today? Uh, hey, hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Hope this blesses you. My name is Greg Hendricks. I am a pastor down here at the Rock Church in San Diego. Um, so, 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 so honored to be able to share. Um, and hopefully, whatever I have to share, you'll be able to lean in. You'll be able to grow from. You'll be able to impact others that are around you. Um, and that you would strengthen your journey um, with God and with people, um, that you can be a blessing to the community that you're in and the world that we inhabit. Yeah. Pastor Greg, could you just share a little bit about your, your, your story and, uh, and your background um, as far as um, how you arrived at being a pastor um, today? Sure. Yeah. You know, essentially, I didn't grow up in a church. Uh, I, my desire was not to be a pastor, to be very honest with you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was I, it's like, hey, I want to do this with my life. It was more so I grew up uh, playing uh, basketball. I was going to be a professional basketball player and at some point probably be a coach and be in that realm of service and things. And uh, so my life was headed in that trajectory. I was a uh, I played college basketball, Division One college basketball, and then I graduated and played uh, overseas 
uh, for many years and got a chance to see the world, uh, go to different cultures, experience different cultures, see different people, see youth in another mm. culture, um, mm. see marriages in another culture. So it really was, you know, God affording me a, a great opportunity to see uh, different facets and expressions of his hearts in different regions. And then when I got done, I start, you know, in the midst of that, actually in the midst of playing, I got hurt and I got a chance to coach uh, one year voluntarily with uh, the Seattle Supersonics when they had their team before they moved to Oklahoma City. And uh, that I wasn't saved at the time. Um, I didn't come to know the Lord until later, later in my life, um, really about 2009. And um, I knew of God. And I had a, an understanding of that there, there is God. You know, I didn't have a, a personal relationship with Jesus, but I was really on this journey. And I'll never forget this. There was a guy on, on one of the teams, and uh, he was a Christian guy. Um, and he, he worked really, really hard, never really played, um, and was like the last guy on the bench. And he would do really well in practice, and they would, he would never really get on the floor like that. And uh, I remember him having uh, this, this uh, conversation on the bench. And this conversation with this other player really marked me. Mm. And I was watching. I saw, totally tuned out the game. And mind you, we're playing the Lakers at this time. And <laughs> Kobe Bryant's on the team. And Kobe Bryant had just came back. And he was, I mean, he was destroying our team. I mean, he, yeah. he was playing so well. And we had, couldn't do anything. And my guy, who was a, who's a who's a Christian, he's now still, he's an assistant coach in the NBA now. And uh, I remember him just cheering and being encouraging and, and just being real edifying of the situation. And, and mind you, the situation did not dictate for you to be edifying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, we're getting, we're getting blown out here, you know? But he was like, come on, guys, we can do this. Keep working hard. Keep, you know, he just speaking life over all the yeah. guys that were on the floor. And this guy was not even playing. I mean, even more so, he probably should have been on the floor because we were getting blown out. And there was another guy on the team who was the opposite, super negative, just, you know, did not want to be there, man. And, and they were – the one guy was cheering, my buddy. The other guy was like, man, how can you cheer for this? How can you do this? Man, how can you go? How You know, and they, this went on for like maybe 15 minutes real time, which is probably about half of a NBA basketball yeah. court, about six minutes. And um, he kept doing this and this goes on. And I'm, and now I'm not even paying attention to the game. I'm watching them <laughs> basically go back and forth. And, and my guy's cheering, the other guy's kind of hating on them. And then finally the guy says, man, how can you pray for it? And my friend without even breaking stride, he's like, man, come on guys. And he turned and he just looked at him and said, cause my name is G he said, he said, my Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. You should know who Jesus Christ is. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And if you had a relationship with Jesus, your attitude wouldn't be this way. All right, come on, guys. And he just went right back to cheering. And I was just kind of like in shock, like, oh, my God, what did he, you know, like, wow, that was amazing, you know? Yeah. And uh, the guy that got, you know, basically got shut down, like, turned, and he noticed yeah. I was looking at him. Hmm. And, uh, and when I looked at him, I, like, kind of looked away, like, oh, I'm not paying attention. You know, like, I kind of, like, looked away. Yeah. And uh, that that marked me, man. That really did, because I saw that even in the midst of a situation where it did not allow him or even a, afford him an opportunity to be happy, hmm. like he, he was so anchored in who Christ was in his life that hmm. the situation, a basketball game or even a guy or one of his teammates arguing with him on the bench did not move him away from what he knew to be the truth and I wasn't saved at the time but I remember that story till this day wow and I mean, every time we talk we you know I bring it up and we laugh about it and everything like that <laughs> but fast forward you know after that happened um, 2009 to give up my life to Christ like really fully committing my life to Christ it was after I came back from my last year playing professional basketball and then from that point man I just kind of really went on this crazy trajectory like really really fast and I got introduced to the church here down in San Diego, which was a whole God story. Yeah. Flew down, uh, met Pastor Miles, uh, and, you know, he prayed for me, blessed me. Um, I walked away. And not till maybe four years later is where um, an opportunity opened up here at the church. And I ended up coming down and, you know, came on staff. And I actually came on staff not as a pastor, but I came on as like a sports ministry director. Okay. And, uh and then it kind of just, you know, evolved from there. Now I, you know, run, you know, probably the second biggest campus of our church. 
uh, and I'm the, I'm the senior pastor of that campus. Wow. And, um, you know, God has just been really gracious uh, on my life. But so for all you listeners out there, you know, it, you think that, hey, I'm not called to me or I can't be a pastor. I can't be. I hope I'm, I'm going to live in testimony like that was not my desire. You know, <laughs> like God, like completely shifted what I was doing. Yeah. And I just said, yes. You know, I yeah. just said, OK, God, I want to do whatever you want to do your plan. And from yeah. that point forward, you know, all the evolving came out. And now That's here awesome. we are. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, we're looking forward to learning from you today. And um, yeah, your your experience as being a coach and then now in ministry, I think is very unique. And I think it's uh, going to provide us some some great insight. As we had talked a little bit earlier, um, you know, as our, our missional teams, we're trying, we are we desire for our missional teams to be diverse um, and, and, and male, female leadership, racially diverse. And is the, the things that have unfolded in the last few weeks, one thing we have realized is, is we've kind of taken, and I'll, I'll, I'll own this, um, taken a more homogenous approach that everybody that comes from America is the same. And so if you come from America, it's going to fit into this model. And we spend a ton of time studying the local culture. We learn the language. We learn the way culture, eat, sleep, all those type things. But we expected, at least I did, I expected everybody on my team to do things exactly the way um, Aaron Santemeyer from Wally Ford, West Virginia did and, and to see the world exactly the way, same way I did. And so in that, um, you know, just realized that I just have a lot of blind spots. And so can you share just, um, as I've read your pastor's book, he talks about, um, you know, the idea of, of being sensitive, and sometimes we can be insensitive and not even know it. And so from your experience being a coach and being a pastor, can you give us some wisdom on um, how we can grow in our understanding and act, application of being racially sensitive and maybe some common blind spots that you've experienced, um, you know, in, in, in your, your time in ministry and your time in, in the sporting world? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think some of the common blind spots that um, people tend to, uh, you know, uh, inhabit or they um, move in or whatever the case you want to you want to label it is the fact that we don't acknowledge uh, people's background. Um, and, and I know in your setting, everyone comes from America and their goal is to serve the country, to serve the people. But uh, service cannot trump covenant. It can't be greater than covenant. And so when you understand covenant, that means that the people that you are serving with, you get to be in relationship with them. So when you're in a relationship with someone, you get to know about them. You get to know their fears. You get to know their dreams. You get to know, uh, you know, their doubts. You get to know, you know, their background and where things have happened. So I think one of the major blind spots is that we don't value the fact of knowing each other we know of that we maybe share the same thing in common in terms of getting the job done, but we don't share the maybe the same values or like how we arrive there. You know, like what's your background in this? And maybe one missionary who came up in a Hispanic background and that was their entire background. So, you know, if you know anything about Hispanic culture, I'm half Mexican myself. Hispanic culture is very family oriented, very, very all about family, family, family. They share food together, family gathers from all over. So, you want to know like the person in and out. And I think sometimes the blind spot can be that we don't really press into the importance of that. So then hmm. when we do get in on, on the other side of the battle line and we're in battle together, yeah, we know the, the practical things we got to do to get the mission done, but you have a deeper appreciation for the person you're co-laboring with or you're, playing alongside with if it's the sports world or serving alongside with if it's in the missionary field or in, in uh, ministry in general, if you get to know them. And mm -hmm. the beauty of that is that Jesus really did that well, even with people that were opposite of what people thought he should be around. You know, you mm -hmm. have uh, the tax collector, you have the mm -hmm. woman at the well. I mean, there's so many different stories and he would take the time to talk to them uh, you know, Nicodemus, who he had a really in-depth conversation about the kingdom of God behind closed doors. And that, to me, um, is essentially uh, what you can do to really not only turn the flashlight on on any of the blind spots that you may have, because out of that conversation, just like Nicodemus, he was, you know, as God started explaining to him a little bit about the kingdom, he was like, you know, there were certain things that were popping off in his mind, like, oh, wait a minute, I, I didn't, you can do this and you can do this. And it gave them uh, an opportunity to have dialogue. Mm 
yeah. about stuff. And so if you have a blind spot in your, in your life regarding racism or regarding anything, regarding how to love a woman or how to be treated by a man or, or any of that, and you're in a situation where you have an opportunity to have dialogue, ask good questions about that. Hey, what's your lens on this? Hmm. What, what's, your, what's, your, uh, what's your view on this? What do you know about this? What does hmm. your family know about this? Give me your family history background because it gives you a greater understanding and depth into that person. And then when you do find out you're there to listen, you're not there to give answers. You're there to <laughs> ask questions. Because most of the time, I mean, as human beings, we, we want to we wanna ask questions and then give answers to fix it or fix the problem. Yeah. And the greatest leaders are the deepest listeners. And so you ask a question and you, and, you, and you listen. And then you ask another question and you listen. And you ask another question because now what you're doing, the curtain of the person's heart starting to come down and you starting to peer into their life about what their struggles are, what mm. they're really amazing at, where mm. they can be stronger at, where mm. there's a high, high potential for them to grow at. If mm. they're a leader, if they're a follower, all these things start to come to the, to the forefront and it all stems out of, out of dialogue. So if I was to give any advice to any, all the listeners on here, if you wanted to grow in your blind spots um, about you personally, Hmm. Um, be humble, ask hmm. questions hmm. and ask, say, is there any blind spots that I may have? Ask people that are closest to you and allow them the freedom to really give you honest feedback without you being offended yeah. and without you um, having to give an answer, you know, yeah. and then move yeah. from there. No, it's, that's valuable. And, you know, I've realized that um, I've been rewarded in my life and educationally in life when I had the right answers. I've never, very rarely have I been, not that I'm a dog looking for reward, but very rarely has somebody said, man, that's a really good question. But if you have, as a leader, you're always trying to have the right responses. And um, I've known that I've um, fallen into that trap feeling like I got to have all the answers and not taking the time to, uh, to listen. And as you said, humbling myself, humbling myself in that process. And so, you know, as one of the other things as we've seen um, in the, the news, I'm a, a sports fan, so I watch, you know, watch ESPN all the way here. And um, one of the things that, that really made me realize I, I have a lot more blind spots than I thought I had was when, when Drew Brees came out and he made the statement. And then, you know, I was following the ESPN analysts. They were talking about that. And um, it, it made me realize, man, I, I didn't understand that issue at all. Because if somebody would have asked me that question at that time, I think my response probably would have been, but to be very honest and transparent, would have been very similar to his. And mm -hmm. um, then it made me think, how can I have a transparent conversation with somebody if I'm going to end up offending them? And then in the process, them thinking that's who he is. I can never trust him. Like if I'm on a team with somebody and I would have made that statement that he made and they would have said, well, that's who Aaron is. And, uh, and it just made me think, man, I, I want to have transparent, open, ask questions and transparent conversations. But honestly, my concern is, is, is I'm going to say something wrong and somebody's going to say, well, that's, he played his true cards. That's really who he is. Does that make any sense at all? And could you give me some wisdom and help um, is a, is a white male. Um, yeah. What can I do to not step into potholes and not give people I don't know. I, it's, it's a real concern. And honestly, I don't think I'm the only white guy that struggles with that. I want to yeah. speak up. I want to be speaking to the situation and I want, and I, I want to have the courage, but I don't want to hurt people because of the questions I asked. I don't want to hurt people and cause more trauma or I don't know. I don't want to create more anger because of my ignorance yeah. and my blind spots. So anyway, I hope that makes yeah. sense. No, absolutely. It's a great question. And I think the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that if you're coming from a transparent space of like, hey, I really don't know it all. So forgive me. And you kind of give like a, a, a precursor of, hey, I'm going to ask a question that's insensitive, but please hear my heart. It's not from a place to cause division or cause pain towards you. It's actually, I am really trying to learn. And if you're, if you're able to afford yourself that from the very get, it's not going to put you in a space where you're constantly walking on eggshells and, like you said, fall into a, you know, 
you're like trying not to fall in power because the fact of the matter is you're human. You're going to make mistakes. I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes, you know, <laughs> and it's not, just a, it's, it's not, it's not just a white guy thing. It's a humanity thing. You mm. know what I'm saying? So we're all going to make mistakes at a certain point. And sometimes you're going to say stuff that is not um, racially sensitive and it doesn't necessarily make you a racist. It's just that the fact that you are still learning. And when you afford yourself that opportunity to be open about that amongst the people that you're around, and then you tell them that, and then you start asking questions and say, hey, hey, help me understand this. Because no stupid question, I mean, no question is a stupid question if you're really trying to seek how to better humanity and Mm -hmm. strengthen your teams and strengthen Mm -hmm. the people around you. Because sometimes you are going to ask questions on the outside may look stupid, but you're going to probably get so much gold out of it. Yeah. Even from the reaction that you get. So I look at somebody um, like Drew Brees, and I don't, I don't think, um, f- first of all, he's a sweet dude, you know what I'm saying? You know, and, and you know, Pastor Miles knows him really, really well. And, you know, from everything that he's told us, he's, he's, just, a, he's just a great, great guy. And, and I can't see anything less. But in, in this case, what, what he did was he spoke up on something that I don't think he necessarily thought all the way through. Doesn't make him that he's ignorant or he's not smart or – He's a racist or anything like that. Maybe he just didn't think, think it all the way through. And that's not just him. That's people in general. Because if you go all the way back about Cap kneeling <laughs> and the reason why he was doing it, a lot of people weren't really looking at the reason why he was doing why he was doing it is essentially what blew up in the world's face with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, yeah. all this stuff. He was doing it for that purpose. And what he was saying is, listen, I, I, I love my country, but we need to really fix some things because this is getting out of hand and we need to do it fast because lives are being lost. Hmm. Culture is being impacted. There's division that's tearing our country apart. And I want you, I'm trying to bring as much awareness I can. I mean, so much so that he put his entire career, his life on the line for that, you know? Yeah. Because he really believed that there was there was something that we could do if we were to come together, not just black people, but white people, people, people in general, humanity come together and really do it. And now what you're seeing, what he was kneeling for way, way back then is what you're kind of seeing a little bit now in a tipping point. You have people from all over. You have white people um, coming together or trying to lock arms with the black community and the black community and the Hispanic community and, and so on and so forth to say, hey, you know what? There's some things that are really wrong that have been systematically wrong in our country, systematically wrong in certain areas. But if we're able to lock forces and put our minds together and really push the envelope to make change, that we can actually make change. We can actually bring it. And so when they asked Drew Brees this question, he gave that response. It was, I don't think it was a fully thought out response, but now I'm sure, I'm sure he went back and probably thought, I was like, man, you know what? That was a terrible response. I, you know what? I, I don't feel that way. I really, I really don't. And then he can't, got a chance to go back. But even some people, oh man, you know, I'm not going to forgive him and all this, that, and the third. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, is at least he was man enough to say, hey, I, I messed up. You yeah. know, I, 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 I'm here to learn. I'm trying to, I'll stand, I want to stand. Yeah. I want to stand for what's right. Please forgive me. I mean, that takes a, it takes a lot to ask humility and forgiveness on behalf of people. Uh, And so I think the best thing for teams, if you're in a team setting and you want to have these really tough conversations, first of all, you have to be open about what you don't know Mm. with the people you have to. And especially as a leader, if you're leading teams, it is totally to your advantage for you to be vulnerable and open. Hmm. I think the world will teach you like, nah, you need to have this, this confidence and this, this aura and this, this shield up about you. And it's actually the opposite. If you, you know, the, the first shall be last, you know, if you want to live, you I mean, it's apparent, it's the king, it's a kingdom principle. Yeah. You really want to have equity, trust equity with your team, be vulnerable and be open with your team. Yeah about what you don't know, where you can get strength in. And then when you do so, what you start to see is trust is built. And it's be like, because like, man, my leader, I I love his leadership or I love her leadership, but I probably connect 
and identify more with his or her transparency on where she or he lacks at, hmm. I can identify with that. I can identify with being impatient. I can identify with being scared to say something and not put my foot in my mouth. I can identify with all of that. And he and she is on that journey. Yeah. I would more so follow him or her on that same journey because I want to grow too. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And so have you seen um, creating those safe places where we can have those transparent conversations? If, if there's certain things that you've seen as you've in, in, in pastoral ministry and teens and the things that maybe don't work that people you've seen that people tried and you thought, man, I saw that coming. That's not, <laughs> that's not going to work Yeah, because some, yeah. you know, you can go with the best of intentions and still end up hurting people. And, um, you know, that's the last thing, um, at least that, that I want to, I'm sure the majority of the listeners, that's the last thing that they want to do. Could just some ideas of things that you say, man, that, that's not a good idea. Yeah. I would say, you know, don't, don't walk around. Hey, I have a black friend. Hey, you know, and I get the intention. The intention is to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I, I'm trying to identify and sympathize and, and be one with you. But you don't want to say certain things like that. You know, it's funny because I, I ride my bike and around my neighborhood and, you know, I ride past majority of the people on the trail that I'm riding for. The majority of them are white. When I ride by, they're like giving me the heart pound, like, you know, like... <laughs> You know, I got, I got you, man. I got you. And I just laugh. It's like, oh, man, I get it, man. I understand that the, the season of the time. So I would just say, you know, sometimes uh, it's good to acknowledge, but you don't have to be so overt mm. to make you feel like you care. Or, you know, the other flip side of that is you don't want to be very, very silent either to where, you know, you're like, oh, man, it's just you're, you're just ignoring the issue you want to have a real fine balance to engage. I think like, uh, you know, synthetic uh, type of uh, environments or yeah. things that you're trying to do to stir up unity, that doesn't never work. Again, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very much an advocate of being open and transparent on where you're at and uh, offering the same invitation for the teams to come into, to be like, Hey, where are you at with this? Give me your background. That, that in itself, if you're able to create that environment um, with your teams or, or wherever you're leading, it offers them a safe place. And to make it a disclaimer to everyone that is in that sphere of wherever you have influence, like, hey, we're all here to learn. No, we're not here to shame. We're all here hmm. to grow. And one person may have a, a greater perspective based on their background in this. So you want to afford them an opportunity to speak but you also want to afford them an opportunity to hear other people as well, to listen. I think, again, the greatest strength of a great leader is their deep listeners, and they mm. ask really good questions to probe conversation and to probe the hearts of where people are at. So, again, if I were, if I were to ask you, maybe stay away from certain things, synthetic, you know, fake uh, yeah. environments. Hey, I got a black friend, and hey, you know, like I, I – uh, I, you know, I, I can, I can do this. I'll give you a story. How about this? Yeah. One time awesome. I went to this, I went, I went to this ministry it was back East and I was in a room with a bunch of really high capacity pastors. These guys were, you know, generals of the faith. And, you know, I was the only young black dude in the room and I was the only black dude in the room. Never forget my <laughs> age. I was the only black dude in the room. And, uh, this old, uh, I think he was a pastor. He was affiliated with one of the guys. But anyway, it was like the green room. So you can only get in if you were like a speaker or something like that. And he came up to me and you could tell he was just looking at me because, you know, I'm the only black guy in the room. And he's looking at me and 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 uh, he tried to give me a compliment, but he didn't know he was ready. He's he's like, oh, he said, oh, so you're here. You're here. I said, yeah, I'm here. And he's like kind of asked me about my background. And uh, he said, I bet you they called you Black Lightning back in the day like that. Hmm. And he, he tried he tried to give me a compliment saying, like, I looked athletic, you know, yeah. like I, I, you know, like he, he in his mind, he thought that was a compliment. And I was just kind of like, nah, they didn't call me that. You know, <laughs> just, nah, they didn't call me that. And he was like, yeah, I bet you were really fast back in the, you know, back in the day when you played because I told him I played basketball. And, yeah. And uh, but I wasn't playing anymore. And, and in his mind, he was giving me a compliment. But what he didn't know was 
it, it wasn't a compliment. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like you don't, you don't, you don't say that to someone, first of all, that you don't know their background, you don't know their story. Um, he was an older gentleman, so he comes from a, a certain era of mentality. But again, in that situation, you want to get to know the temperature of the room, the temperature of your team. And the beauty of it, if, if you're able to identify, hey, I don't know certain things, can you help me? Or I would like to have a certain conversation. The greatest question can be, hey, give me your perspective on this. Tell me, tell me what your, what's your perception of this? And allow the person to talk and just hmm. listen and don't hmm. try to fix it. That's a yeah. great starting point. No, that's good. That's good. Because that, that goes along with the idea that, you know, you did blind spots and being insensitive and not having any clue that, the clue that you're doing it. And uh, no, that's, that's, that's wisdom. Your, your church is in the process of going through the book, The Third Option. And um, mm-hmm. in that, it talks about dignity and, and the, the importance of dignity. Could you just share a little bit about the, how we can show dignity to one another um, despite our different backgrounds or different understandings? And you've talked about asking questions and taking the posture of a learner and um, trying to understand, is there other things that we can do to show dignity that maybe you found that doesn't necessarily come as common or um, maybe kind of we maybe gloss over sometimes in the church and we miss the mark off? Sure, yeah, I think that, the one thing you can do is you don't want to label someone out the gate, you know? Um, and it, it talks about like labeling people. You don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to label a, a situation or you don't want to label a person. Um, and if you are going to put a label, start with brother or sister, start there. Um, but That's you don't want to come with this pre preconceived notion of like, Hey, um, you, you're this, you're this, you've done this. What they may have done may, uh, you may know that these are facts, but you don't want to put a label on because what you do is you put a preconceived notion of that you know how they arrived to that point or you know why they are doing that. You you actually know them. Well, you mm. don't know them because when you put a label on somebody, you immediately strip the, hu- strip the humanity off that person and you basically bring them down out of as of, you know, the Bible says that he made them both in male and female. He made them both in his image, not in my image, not in Aaron's image, not into the listener's image. He made them in God's image. So when you put a label on somebody, you take the label of what God says and you put your own preconceived notion on this person. So you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to put a label on somebody. So I think that's the highest form of honoring someone. It's calling them brother. Prime example of that, Aaron, man, is uh, this the other day I was reading is when, um, Paul, uh, Saul got, you know, he had this encounter with God and he's blind for three days and God appears to Ananias and says, Hey, I want you to go pray for this guy because he's going to be, you know, my instrument to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Lord, this guy was killing people last week. This guy, you know, he goes into this whole long list of what he, what he was. Yeah. And he said, no, you must go and do it. And the key part of that verse is when he did go to him, he said something very powerful. He said, brother Saul, hmm. the Lord, he, he labeled him brother. And hmm. this guy was like, I don't know about this guy, God. Like, I don't know. But he, <laughs> when he introduced himself, he said, brother Saul. So he put brother as title on him. That's and he good. didn't label him prior to his encounter with them. So I think the highest form of honor is to not label someone. Um, that's a great thing that you can do. You can be a deep listener. And then you can also be uh, one who speaks at a lot of edification over a situation. You can be the encourager. You can be the one who is speaking life over it. You can be speaking positively over uh, certain things. Um, those are all some really good tools um, that you can do um, in honoring someone. Um, is just being uh, not a labeler. Hmm. Um, but being and being an enabler, you know, yeah. enabling people to step into their their uh, destiny with God. That's great. I appreciate your wisdom and insight. As I was listening to your, uh, I listened to an interview that you were on was on YouTube, and um, you were sharing about in that interview about growing up. And I think you you mentioned in that interview you didn't grow up um, with a close relationship with your father, and um, it began to make me think. Um, you know, I began to think about on our teams we all come from different family backgrounds, and you've talked about that as far as asking questions about family. Um, 
could you just unpack, you know, maybe we have somebody, that, is that something you think would be important to understand if, if somebody grew up without a father or not a close relationship father, would that affect maybe how they would see a male leader or not see a male leader? I don't know. I'm admitting my, my lack of understanding by asking the question, but it, as you unpack that, it made me think, well, maybe this, this idea of homogenous is not just a, a, a racial thing, or maybe it's not just a place in the country, but in your family of origin and what that looks like. And I thought, well, maybe that could be creating some tension on our teams that we've not even thought about um, yet. So I don't know if you could just share your wisdom yeah. and insight, and maybe a little bit of your story. Yeah. I think a, a, a part of that growing, not growing out, growing up with the dad in my home, you are having to learn certain principles and practices uh, about what, um, you know, unity looks like. Because if you don't see like your mom and your dad having a unified marriage or working in um, union with one another and complementing one another, which is essentially what a marriage is, a marriage is that we both complement one another. Like, um, we, you know, as a husband, there's certain things, there's blind spots that I have that my wife fills in for me and vice versa. And so, you know, we're working together and reflecting that to our children, to our family. So when you don't have a dad, I know I'm speaking for myself, not having a dad, there's a lot of things that I was not privy to, to have conversations with. I wasn't privy to on how to court a, if I liked a girl, you know, again, I didn't grow up in the church. So it was a lot of promiscuous things growing up in my house. And so, you know, I didn't understand about that. There's a lot of conversations that um, fathers can have with their sons that I was not privy to and I had to learn on my own. And on top of that, you know, my mom worked a lot. So she, and rightfully so, she had to work, she had to go do things, she had to go, you know, put food on the table. So my grandmother took care of us most of the time. So not having a father in the home impacts a ton of things. And on top of that, you know, African-American male, half Hispanic, so I have best of both worlds in me. You know, the odds are stacked against me to not go to college, to not even go to school, to not, you know, be in the streets doing something crazy like that. They, they were really, really stacked against me. But what I did was, and I don't, this was a, def, you know, obviously it was a defense mechanism, but I think it was the grace of God is like every male that I met along the way in my life, I took what was good out of their characteristic. And in my mind, I compile what my dad would be like. So this guy was funny over here. I take his humor. And this guy was very gracious over here. I take his graciousness. And then this person over here was very uh, loving. I would take his love. And, I, and, and over the years, out of the different males that I would get introduced to, there'd be certain attributes hmm. that God has given this person. I would compile all the best attributes in my mind. And I would compile, that's who my dad is, come to find out. What I was doing was taking all the great attributes out of these earthly men and compiling it in my heart and my mind. And what I was doing is I was um, uh, uh, drawing out a picture of my heavenly father, hmm. all the best attributes of who he was. And it, and it actually uh, helped me further along my process. Now, some people don't, don't do that. And it does impact things because if you bring someone maybe who doesn't have a good home life and then grow up in a home setting where you know being in unity with your family was the core or you didn't have an understanding of that and you throw them into a family environment on a mission field then it's it's a completely different ball game it's like well how come you're always recluse and you go off and you break off and you do your own thing and and you're not hanging with the with the team you know we're family because they're idea of family is not that their idea mm. of family is just protecting themselves mm. and not being hurt mm. or not being exposed or not being vulnerable they don't mm. even know how to be vulnerable because they've had to be on defense their whole life um, as a young person and it was a, a survival mechanism and so mm. you inherit these things that you cultivated as a young person and then you inject them into your adult life and then on top of that, you go into an environment where you have to be team, you have to be together because you're not in your confines of your own home. You're in another country serving another people group at the probably the most spiritual warfare area in regards to trying to push the gospel forward. So you have to be even more hunkered down as a family. But if you don't have that understanding from as a young person, it's going to be really hard to 
to do it in that setting. And the beauty of it is this, when you start to ask people about, hey man, tell me about your family, tell me about your upbringing, tell me about, you know, what, what's your idea of your parents, you know, and oh, I don't like my parents. You start to see like, oh, okay, there's something there. And then allows you as a leader, all you listeners out there allows you as a leader to really strengthen your teams because you know the person you're co-laboring with, you know their struggles, you know their family background, hmm. and you're able to call the gold out of them in the midst of a team setting. That's the beauty of ministry. That's the beauty of team sports is that there's so many different backgrounds and diversity of people. But when you start to learn about them, learn about their history, learn about their families, learn about their core values, what they've been taught, what they haven't been taught, what are their blind spots? What are your blind spots? Now you start to unveil like, okay, we have a great starting point because I know that Greg is really good here, but he struggles here. Aaron is really strong here, but he can be even greater over here. And so now you know how to really prod and cultivate and stir and strengthen the people around you based on knowing their families. But if, you know, in regards to myself and father figure, it plays a very big role um, for a lot of people um, in their upbringing. And that's not just having a father. It could be a healthy home hmm. or uh, a healthy understanding. It's, it, or maybe you don't have a mother or maybe your father passed away and that wound wasn't dealt with in regards to the healing process. Or maybe your, your, your family abandoned you. There's so many different things. But if you don't ask these types of questions and understand their upbringing, then you won't know how to project them into their destiny and, and coach them and champion them into their destiny for what God has for them. No, that's super powerful, Pastor Greg, it, because you've, you're reading right into it because the reality of it is, is we, we call, at least the, the workers in Africa, we, we consider ourselves family. My kids call my Uncle Jay and Aunt Carrie. And, you know, it's, it's a, that's the environment for my kids. They, they call them, them aunts and uncles. But if it, aunts and uncles to one person might look a little different to aunts and uncles in another context and, and working through that, when we call family, um, yeah, it's just, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like you said, diversity adds a lot. Um, to it, but if we're not careful, it can also cause. If we're not asking the right questions, if you've you've so eloquently put out there, if we're not looking for that, we can go in with preconceived ideas and assumptions that their family is the same as mine, and those those things mean the same. And uh, we just, you know, we don't we don't want to see people hurt, and we definitely, as you said, with the spiritual warfare that goes on, the enemy is always. You know, I talked about the other day about the deeds of destruction the disorientation of getting to the field and how he disorients us in that process. Then he starts distorting the things in, in our mind and reading into situations not there. Then we get discouraged and all the down there, he's just trying to destroy us in, in every way he can. And uh, mm -hmm. man, just appreciate your wisdom and insight. Pastor Greg, what is something that you're excited about um, as you look at the present time and looking in, into the future? We being on this far away from America, I mean, I always, I see the negative in the news and you don't really see anything positive. Is there anything you could encourage the workers that we're all the way outside the United States? Is there anything positive going on that you're excited about just to give an encouraging word um, for the listeners today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, well, first of all, I'm encouraged that um, people would say yes to go serve uh, in Madagascar and serve the people there. Um, so I, I just want to say as a word of encouragement, you guys keep pressing in. We're praying for you on this side um, and praying for your uh, commitment and your assignment that you're over there right now to take courage, to take uh, hope and the season that you're in. But then also, too, yes, I'm really encouraged in the fact that we're in a Kairos moment right now as society and humanity. You know, you've had COVID, um, you've had uh, racial tension. Um, people have been in their homes now for over three and a half months here in, in America. They can't go anywhere. You know, everybody's just been completely uh, bunkered down. But the I think one of the things, and then you have racism that hit with that. But, I, you know, I, as, as bad as this may sound, it's really not. I'm actually glad it happened while we were in our homes because that's where the conversation needs to start first. Need to start first in your home about racism, about oh, having con conversation in your home. And I'm not just talking about your physical home. I'm talking about the home of your heart, too. Hmm. Like you need to have conversation with your kids. You have conversation with your family. 
need to have conversation with yourself and ask yourself before God, what do I know about this? God, help me to see the pain, but then God, help me to understand how I can contribute wow. to helping rebuild this. And that's, I take that out of the book of Nehemiah. You know, they bring Nehemiah this crazy problem. And he, the first thing he did was he cried, hmm. you know, and cried out to the Lord for a couple of days, not a couple of hours, a couple of days. And then he asked, he prayed to God. He asked God, I go, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm a cupbearer. This don't impact my life. You know, like my life is really good, but yeah. this situation is bad. And he gets this incredible favor from God and from man with the letter and they rebuild this wall. You know, that wall was broken down over 114 years. They tried 72 years to rebuild it, different parts, different places. And he did it with the same people in 52 days. Yeah. Why? It's because he understood the pain and he understood like, okay, God, I, I need to come and bring a spirit of unity. So if I'm encouraged about anything right now, I think we're in a Kairos moment because now, um, unfortunately, you know, George Floyd died and, and Breonna Taylor died and uh, Ahmaud Arbery died and everybody, there's countless people before that that have passed away. And, you know, you have people um, peacefully protesting who got, you know, all this stuff was leading up to this moment. And now this happens, unfortunately, but the beauty that's coming from the ashes is like, you know what? There is a problem here hmm. and we can fix it. We can rebuild it if we come together. So now you see different voices coming to the table who wouldn't necessarily be involved if they didn't, if this wasn't in your face and you have different movements coming, people are coming together. So that gives me hope. Yeah. Um, and that the body of Christ uh, um, is getting engaged as well. The churches are getting engaged as well. Some of them are taking a little more action than others, but at least we're all now trying to come together and actually really do something. That gives me encouragement. Um, here, while I'm here right now, um, my, my greatest desire and prayer, though, is that we would have the same passion about the momentum we have now a month and a half from now down the road. Hmm. I, I, that's my prayer, that we would have that same passionate flame burning for movement, for progress, for restoration, for rebuilding for our country, not just the uh, African-American community, but for all of humanity, hmm. that good. We, there would be rights, there would be equal rights for people, and that humanity can benefit, yeah. as well as the African-American community who has not benefited for a while, we've gotten better, but we have a, still have a long way to go. So if I'm encouraged about anything, that we're in a Kairos moment um, of rebuilding right now. And if we really do it together and we really do it with kingdom principles and kingdom mindset, that we can really make some sustainable change so yeah. that the next generation can inherit something um, and make it even greater than when we had it. Yeah, that's a good deal. Pastor Greg, this has been super valuable for me. I know it's going to be super valuable for the listeners as they listen in. Will you pray for the audience today and uh, whatever the direction God leads you to pray? Um, just a prayer over the listeners and um, that God will use what you've shared, your wisdom, your insight, and your experience um, that we will not allow, as you share, we won't allow this flame to die down but we'll continue with that momentum and we'll continue with that spirit of action, standing in solidarity and unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be on this uh, podcast. Thank you for my brother Aaron and his heart to learn and grow and evolve as a follower, a believer of Jesus and a leader um, to the people that you've entrusted him with, the friendships you've entrusted him with. God, I thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you that love is not an agreement, God. It's a commandment. You, you, you command us to love one another, God. That even if we, are, we don't see each other eye to eye, we can still learn to love what we have in common with one another, God. Um, Lord, I pray a blessing over every single listener right now, every single person that their ears is able to hear under the sound of my voice, God, I pray in Jesus' name, God, a blessing over them. Lord, I pray repair over hearts that may have been hurt, hearts that may have been scarred, um, memories that may be etched in their mind, Father, I come against those memories that are bad and disgruntling 
and divisive come against those right now in Jesus name, speak healing over the hearts and minds of every single listener right now, God, Lord, I pray Lord that we would have the same passion about unity and healthy, sustainable change a month and a half from now, God, that the fire would still be burning with the same reverence that it is right now, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would continually open our eyes to things, Lord. Give us sustainable solutions, divine sustainable solutions, God, on how we can continually grow, continually rebuild, continually repair things that have been broken for many years. Lord, we want your presence, God, above everything. And Father, I pray lastly, Lord, Father, for all those who are serving on the field out there, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in Europe, God, Lord, I pray right now a refreshing of hope, a refreshing of peace, God, a refreshing of assurance that you have them exactly where you want them that they were designed for such a time as this, God. And I speak the Nehemiah 2.18 over them, that they, when he said, let us rise up and rebuild, God. It takes us, Lord, to rise up. It takes a community. It takes a family to rise up and build, God. Lord, if we want to have unity, we have to embrace diversity. So, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, God, that we would embrace one another as brother and sister, learn about each other, Learn about our families, learn about our history, learn about our perspectives, God. And Lord, infuse kingdom principles, core principles from your scriptures, your word, your personhood, who you are. And God, that we, God, can come together and continually build and strengthen and restore things that have been broken for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.